Wow, it's great to be here this morning, isn't it? One of the things I say often when I step up here are things like that. It is, it's a joy to be here this morning. And I always mean it, but let me run through a typical week. Well, I'll just run through this week, for example. Every morning this week, I took Wyatt to early morning football practice. So I got up like really early, went in, took him, went to work early, uh, he had football practice every day. He had a game Thursday night, and we had a meeting after that. My daughter had band practice. She tried out for a play, and we had doctor's appointments. We had hair appointments, and on and on this list could go. So the temptation to sleep in this morning was honestly quite strong. Now, before jumping to conclusions, let me explain here. Have you... Have you ever been here? Have you ever been there? Can you relate to this? Have you ever felt this way before? I know you probably have, but we're here. We're all here. And why are we here each week? Why am I here? I mean, other than the fact that I was scheduled to preach. We're here because we know it's important. We're here because we know it's important to God and we know that it's important to us individually and mutually. We need to gather as God's people, and God desires that from us. You see, there is something special and even supernatural that happens when Christians gather. The New Testament has a lot to say about gathering. We're supposed to do it. We benefit from assembling together. Now, admittedly, a lot of these benefits that we think about with assembly could be accomplished in a number of contexts of groups of people gathered together. We gain some of the same things from social clubs, from gyms, from sororities, from fraternities, and other groups of people that we may have dealings with in our lives. But there is a supernatural nature behind what happens when we gather as God's people and commune with God himself. And we don't often think about it. Assembly is a big deal in the New Testament. The sheer number of texts related to it are impressive. And this alone makes a statement of the importance that God places on assembly. But today I want to draw your attention just for a moment to just one. So if you've got your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. That's where we're going to spend our time little background first, the Hebrew audience, when you read Hebrews, you have to understand this is a group of people that was ready to abandon Jesus and return to Judaism. And so the writer is making the case that Jesus is not only better, but he is the only way to be with God, which is the end goal of all of this anyway, is to be with God. But being with God is more than just an end goal. It is a present reality, which is what makes assembly so special. And this text articulates why it is so important and so significant to God, and it also helps us see what it accomplishes in our lives so that we can have clarity to the supernatural significance of assembly and ultimately achieve the benefits from it that God wants for us. So Hebrews 10, I want to look at just the first the 19 through 21. 
Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. And I want to stop right there. We'll come back to verse 22 here in just a moment. So what do we see so far in this text? Number one, the blood of Jesus has made it possible for us to enter into the presence of God. So God's desire for us to join him in his presence was so strong that he considered it to be worth Jesus' death to make it happen. So how did it come to that? Well, we go all the way back to Genesis, and you know the story of Genesis, Adam and Eve sinned, and they're blocked from the presence of God. Well, from that moment forward, God works in history to return us to that relationship. And if we had a lot more time, we would go down that road. So when we assemble together, God is here in a unique and special way. Right now, we're in the presence of God gathered as his family. Well, so what? Isn't God with us wherever we go? Of course he is. But there is a supernatural closeness when the church gathers with God that is different. And there are things that happen from this that are not only important to God, but they're good for us, and God knows it. Let's read on in our text, going back to verse 22. Let us draw near with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our faith without wavering, for he who is promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is a habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Okay, so when we assemble, we draw near to God. Here's the supernatural element to assembly. We together are drawing close to God in an assembly. That is a God-designed thing. And it accomplishes some specific things in our faith transformation process. Look at the next phrase here. Uh, It assures our faith. The world is full of things that cause us to doubt our faith. And if we just stay in the world and never assemble, our faith is ultimately going to wane. Doubts will arise. And if we're not careful the danger of losing our faith can become very real. And this was the concern of the Hebrew writer for those people. You see, assembling together pushes back against that. And if we continue on, we see how. Because it strengthens our ability to resist temptation. The strength we gain from assembling provides accountability to God And it also provides accountability to each other. And this unique togetherness, it also helps us hold fast to our hope. That phrase there, confession of our hope. What confession means, simply put, is to say the same thing. 
So when we assemble, we acknowledge collectively the faithfulness of God in keeping His promises. God says, you have eternal life. The confession of our hope is to grab on to that and hold to it with confidence. And gathering with each other strengthens that within us. We agree with God and we can confidently and collectively proclaim, I have eternal life. This unique supernatural experience is also designed by God to stir up love and good deeds within the body. It's difficult to engage the action of Christian love if we are not with people. Being together allows us to love on each other, and it allows us to demonstrate love for each other. An assembly is also designed by God to be a place of mutual encouragement. I find it a joy to be here each week because of the encouragement that I receive from each and every one of you. And I find that starts when I walk into the foyer out here. I can show up in a blah mood and it doesn't take 30 seconds for our greeters to change that. And I am then in a joyful place. I find the encouragement from the people of my Bible class. I find encouragement in us singing together. And I know that's a real surprise to all of you that I would say that. But when, when we comprehend that God is in the middle of it, encouragement takes place that is beyond what any other group could ever offer. It becomes supernatural because we encounter more than just each other when we gather for strength and encouragement. We encounter the presence of God together. It really is a joy to be here today. It's great to confidently know that God wants us to be near Him. It gives me great joy to know that He desires for us to have a place to grow our love for each other engage it with each other, and find mutual encouragement from one another, all while being in His presence. This is the supernatural significance of assembly that we want to be reminded of today and every time that we get together. So if the struggle is real for you, and it sometimes seems difficult to engage in all of this, Remember what God's purpose was for sending Jesus in the first place. It was so that you could be with him in his presence. And that's a supernatural reality that can inspire joy unlike anything else we will ever do. Matt talked to us about what it is that sets apart the assembly of the Lord's people, right? What is it? that makes this different than any other kind of social gathering. And that's that we don't just draw near to each other, but we draw near to God. However, for us to fully enjoy and experience the joy of assembly, um, we must go beyond simply knowing and understanding the importance of the assembly. We must engage fully in the assembly. And here's what I mean by engage. This is how I'm defining it for this morning that we bring our hearts, our, our thoughts, and our affections in line with our behavior. Because we have the behavior part down, usually, yeah? I mean, 
we, you know, we stand and we sit and we bow our heads in prayer. We lift our voice in song. We eat the little small piece of a small cracker. We drink the tangy juice. We have the behavior part down, if you will, the actions that we do. But it's far from a foregone conclusion that our mind and heart are also beating to that rhythm. Our thoughts may be scattered, our hearts weighed down, our minds all over the place, our enthusiasm diminished. As many a wife has probably told her husband, I feel like you're here, but you're not here, yeah? You're here, but you're not present. You're struggling to be fully here, to be fully engaged. So engaging, if you will, and bringing our thoughts and our affections in line with the things that we're doing, that requires deliberation. It requires intentionality. It's not simply gonna happen. And here's why this is so important. When the worship of God becomes nothing more than a rehearsed set of behaviors that's devoid of heart surrender, it ceases to be worship, right? When your lips are moving, but your heart checked out at the door, that's not true worship. That's not the worship that God desires for us. That's not worship that glorifies Him. You may have experienced that before. I surely have experienced that a number of times before. But when you realize that is happening and you want to take corrective action and you go, okay, you know what? I don't want to just simply physically be here. I want to be fully here. I want to be fully engaged in the worship of God in the assembly, among the assembly of God's people. I think we come across three common obstacles, okay? There are several obstacles, but I want to address these three this morning because I think they are the most common that we face. And the first one is this. It's simply busyness, okay? Simply busyness. I'm becoming increasingly convinced that as Americans, we simply do too much, okay? So I'm going to ask you for a show of hands. Raise your hand if you feel like you're not doing too much, okay? Lies, okay? Okay? Because why? I think it's just a part of our culture. I mean, everyone around us is doing too much. Our calendars are so full. I, I know for, for myself, I somewhat, it's kind of embarrassing to admit, but I somewhat take pleasure. Uh, it, it pleases me when my calendar is full. Okay? I feel like I'm being productive. Yes, I'm being productive. Always have something going on. And I think it's absurd that we talk about ourselves as being productive, as if we're some machine that produces things or some, you know, assembly line going on here. That's... And so if we're not careful, we're just going from one thing to another, and our mind is always on the next thing and not here. But consider the example of Jesus. How did he live? I mean, did he have a few important things to accomplish? Yeah? Was he breathlessly running around from place to place? from person to person, from gospel campaign to gospel campaign? Is that how he lived his life? No. In fact, there were times where things got too crazy and he slammed the brakes. He goes, okay, I'm out, okay? I need to go what? Seek the Father's face. The Son of God recognized that when we are not with God, when we don't make time, when we cannot set aside our busyness to come to the Father, that we starve ourselves, that our lives suffer as a result. Your ministry suffers as a result. Your witness suffers as a result. 
The second obstacle, I think, is this, is familiarity. You may be <laughs> familiar with the expression, uh, familiarity breeds contempt, yeah? Okay, you're, 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 you've heard that before. Uh, let's modify that a little bit. Familiarity breeds complacency, I think, in our case. And what I mean by that is when something becomes familiar to us, it loses its specialness. We often see this in relationships, don't we? Like during the dating phase, there was so much excitement, so much enthusiasm. Why? Well, because this is something new. It's, it's uncharted waters, and that exploration makes us enthusiastic. We're, we're eager to find more about this other person, and so we pursue them. And then you get married, and then usually what happens? Often what happens? <whistles> Levels of enthusiasm go down. Why? Well, partly because we're busy, right? Now we have other things to do. But also, isn't there a part in there where, where, where we sort of wrongly believe that we've arrived? That, that we somehow now know all there is to know? Previously, it was uncharted waters, but now it's been mapped fully, yeah? And our relationships suffer as a result. Does that happen in our walk with God? I think it does. We can become so familiar with what we think we know about God that worshiping Him loses its special significance. We no longer gaze in wonderment and awe of His majesty and power in creation. We no longer tremble before His perfect justice and righteousness. We're no longer moved by His unmatched love and kindness and compassion. He's just, oh yeah, we know God. Yeah, I know, you know. Yeah, God loves me, yes, of course. God loves every, everybody, yeah, that's great. We cannot afford to become so familiar that we miss the specialness of who God is and of our worship of Him. If you are in that camp, here's what I would encourage you to do. I found myself in this place a number of times, especially having gone through Bible school. Okay, You spend so much time in the Word you think you know. But get a couple of friends together and read the Bible again. Okay, Those same stories you've read a thousand times, read them again. You'll be surprised at what you find. You'll be surprised at what you find. Let others that you're meeting with speak into those studies. Ask them questions. Let them ask you questions. Rediscover God through His Word. You'll be amazed at what you find. But there are some of us who are not distracted, others of us who, who are not so familiar with God that, that, you know, that we've become complacent. For some of us, the obstacle is our negative emotions that we feel. There are some who are bitter at the way life has turned out, disappointed, maybe. Others who are angry and some who are plagued by doubt. And those negative emotions make you think, well, I can't approach God. I can't come to Him. I can't engage fully. I can't be here fully. Do you know what's going on in my heart? <laughs> if you were to take a little x-ray, I know x-ray doesn't show you emotions. But do you know what's going on in here? How can I sing praises to a God that I feel like has been absent in my life? How can I thank Him when I feel like He hasn't shown up for me? I keep praying, but, he, but I feel like He doesn't answer. How, how can I pretend to worship Him? How can I fully engage? How can I bring my thoughts and my affections in line with the things that I'm doing around me? And I feel like He's simply, 
I don't know. I have all of these questions. I have this anger. I have this frustration. All of these feelings I don't know what to do with. And so what we do is we check our heart out at the door. Yeah, we come and go through the motions. And rather than turning to God in those moments and with those negative emotions, we turn away from Him, thinking, no, this, I can't bring this to Him. Here's what David did when he felt that way. I'm reading from Psalm 22. I'll read a few verses. It's a long psalm. I don't want to read the whole thing. Uh, you read it in your own time, but I want to point out a few verses. You're starting at verse 1. This is how David responded, and this is what David did with those negative emotions that he was feeling. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you don't answer, and by night, and I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried, and they were rescued. In you they trusted, and were not put to shame. Verse 14. I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. But look at how he finishes in verse 22. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. And stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. The Lord doesn't hide from us. He can meet us in whatever depth in which we find ourselves and he will deliver us. So let us confidently approach him. Let us bring to him everything, everything. All the positives, that's great, but especially the negatives. Don't turn away from him. That's the last thing you should do. The assembly is where you need to be. It is the place for you to be. So whether it's busyness that's keeping you from engaging fully, or whether it's your complacency from the familiarity, or, or maybe it's all of these maybe negative emotions that you're feeling, don't turn away from God. Seek Him, rediscover Him, and turn to Him. I want to end with an exhortation by Paul to the Christians in Ephesus. He says in chapter 5, be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're talking about... We're talking about the joy of the assembly. The joy of the assembly. And when we think about it, we think about how that we are called to engage our heart and our mind with our behavior. And how that we're here in this spiritual place with God. And when we get those pieces together, it's that time that we hear the call. The call to the table. When I was a kid, I remember hearing different calls from my parents. There was the call to take out the trash, which I tried to ignore as much as possible. There was the call to family meetings that looked nothing like this. There was the call 
to do my homework, which I minimized and suffered for. But there was one call that I loved, the call that, the call that I would never miss. It was the call to the table. The call to the table was that place where I got to sit down and slow down and enjoy. I got to slow down and process life. It was a place for rest and reprieve from the, case, the craziness and the chaos of my school day. It was the place where I got fed. And the table was the place where everyone was equal. The biscuits were for everyone. The meatloaf was for everyone. Everybody had a right. When I think about the calling to the table as Christians, I'm reminded that those truths apply as well here. If you have your Bibles, if you want to look with me in Luke chapter 22, I'll begin reading in verse 14. Luke 22, verse 14. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. Verse 15. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you that I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it amongst yourself. For I tell you that from now on and I will not drink of it, of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. I want you to see verse 15 one more time. If you have your Bibles there, verse 15 of Luke 22. Jesus said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this with you before I suffer. I want you to hear the joy of the assembly. I have earnestly desired to eat this with you. You see, it's at the at the Lord's Supper, at the table, where we have this opportunity to slow down and to reflect. It's a place of rest and reprieve from the stresses of life. Here we have a singular purpose, to be set free. We once were shackled and enslaved to sin, but now we enjoy freedom. It's at the table that we get fed. Not our stomachs, but our hearts and our souls. Here we drink deeply of the grace poured out on us in spite of our sin. We eat of God's first fruits that he was willing to give up for us. Here we recommit ourselves to him and submit to his mercies. And finally, it's at the table where we commune as equals. 
regardless of philosophies or ages or backgrounds, we come together. Everyone has a right to sit at this table. We all have a place. And today I know that in Oklahoma, my son Christian takes this communion with me as my brother. And my daughter Allison in Florida takes this meal as my sister. My parents in Houston and my sister and brother-in-law in Houston take this meal with me in communion as brothers and sisters. We are all equals at the table. It doesn't matter where we're at or how we feel. We come together in communion. It is a joy to assemble around the table. And so I want to ask you today, will you gather with me around the table? Will you drop all of your burdens, all of your worries, all your anxieties and your fears, all your expectations and step up to the table? And will you sit with me today and enjoy the Lord's Supper with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the body of Christ. Christ's body that died on the cross and was resurrected so that, Father, we can, we can eat deeply of your salvation and enjoy your mercies. Thank you, Father, for the sacrifice that allows us to have sustained life in you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, at this time, we remember the blood of the covenant. Father, as we take this juice, we remember, Father, the agreement between you and us. Your decision, Father, to die and our call to faithful obedience. Father, we ask that you would remind us as we take this and drink this, the price that you paid for relationship with us. Father, may we, may we be faithful to you in our taking this. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. This morning we talked about the joy of the assembly and we talked about the family of God gathering together around the table. But we took something for granted as we said that. And that is that we're all family here. In all actuality we may not be. There may be those here who don't have a Christian faith. Who haven't made the decision to walk with Christ to make him their Lord and Savior and put, on him, put him on in baptism. And so we want to offer the invitation to you now. If you haven't made Jesus Christ your Lord, then it's time today to consider putting him on. Perhaps you've never heard the good news message, and so we want to be available to you to share that message. So if you are in need of someone to talk to about that, we're here to serve you as well. Or perhaps maybe you're like Jesus talks about in the scriptures, a family member who's wandered off. 
and it's time to come home. And if that's the case as well, we are here to serve you. We're here to serve you for any needs you may have. And so we want to offer the invitation right now. If you have any need from this body, we're here to serve you today. Won't you come now as we stand and as we sing together?